Actually happened a few times in my life. You can go ahead, Linda. Happened a few times where I had my talk notes at Spirit Rock under my arm in a little folder. And I'm kind of sauntering into the meditation hall. And I had, on my way, I completely forgot that I was the one giving the discourse for that night. And it's, it's a very strange feeling. I just had a similar one just now. But here I am, and I did have, while I was sitting tonight, I had a little bit of an inspiration to um, try to speak about something I always speak about, but maybe in a slightly different way. And it started with the memory of a story that I've told many times here, but it had such an impact on me for, for its simplicity and humor as well. I think even in the last month I brought it here, but I'll tell it again. I had the good fortune, as many of you know, to spend a lot of time in India with a teacher named H.W.L. Punja, otherwise known as Punjaji or Papaji. And he was a, um, he was a master of a, a different tradition, at, more from the uh, flavor of Advaita Vedanta, which is the more non-dual school. Non-dual is a kind of flavor of teaching that's common in both Buddhism and in Hinduism, but the non-dual school within Hinduism is called Advaita Vedanta. And I was drawn to go see him because I had met with a, a friend of mine at the airport who had been to visit him. And because of the the impact of of her visit when she walked off the airplane, she was radiating this incredible light. And I don't know how to put that into words exactly, but it was light. It was literally, she was beaming with light. And I felt for the first time in my whole life, really. And this is a friend who's who can be a difficult friend. I mean, just somebody who's really a regular, ordinary person, but she was radiating light. And I felt this very strong impulse to prostrate. So rather than prostrate at my friend's feet, <laughs> I decided to go see the teacher she had uh, gone to see. And I, I had also uh, known about him, but I, I was really quite taken with, with uh, the impact of her experience with him. So I went to see him, and, and I had an amazing time with him. And I won't tell the whole story of what happened to me with him, but another one of my colleagues went to see him soon after I did and took a video camera with him, and he took hours of video. And finally, at the end of his time with H.W.L. Punja, he asked Punja, who was this amazing combination of total lion, like a mountain, to this sweetest, most tender, weeping soul. And he would move between these different characters, depending on who was sitting in front of him and what was needed. So at this time, he was, he was in his more playful mode. Uh, and my friend asked him to say something to all of the people back in the West, all the people back in America in this case, because he's from the Bay Area, all those people who would love to hear his teaching, something about his teaching. And so he looked directly at the camera with the most intent gaze, but this little grin on his face. 
and he said into the camera, stay where you are. Well, this has, of course, it had multiple levels of meaning. He was clearly, in that time, he was not in the mood to have hordes and hordes of people come to visit him. At the time, it was, it was ten, or, ten or so people in a little room with him. Uh, and we had all our meals with him, and we would go for, with him on walks. And, but interestingly enough, and this is an aside from what he said, very soon after that, he was discovered by the, the old students of uh, Bhagwan Rajneesh or Osho. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was discovered by Osho and his companions. And within literally two months, there were 350 people uh, sitting with him in a big hall because so many people wanted to find out what he was, what he was up to. But this stay where you are was the reminder, of course, Reminder that each of us, in our own way, our deepest conditioned habit is to moment by moment, rather than stay where we are, rather than realize that we are always here and that we've never left here, but rather than stay where we are and stay conscious of that, our minds continually, and this is our, our mental tendency, and when I say conditioning, and of course our bodies tend to follow, but our mental tendency is to continually go out of ourselves in search, to enter into, to incarnate into the imaginary world of time, of the imagined future. How many of you dwelled a little bit today on the future? How many of you were conscious of thinking... How many of you were conscious, embodied, aware that you were thinking about the future? Great. You can do that all day long. And you have succeeded in staying where you are. How many of you were lost in your thoughts about the future? Not exactly aware that there is only the present and the future is just an idea that arises as thoughts in the present moment. That there really truly is no future, that it's purely projection. It's purely imagination. A wonderful capacity that we have to project this and speculate and fantasize and vision and plan. But nevertheless, this notion of future is just an idea. And no one's ever been there except in our imagination. And the same goes with, with the past. How many of you replayed what happened before today? Again, an extraordinary capacity, an advanced function of our brain to be able to fabricate in our mind this thing called past. And then to, uh, to reminisce, to regret to feel guilty, to, um, to enjoy the uh, memories if they were pleasant. One teacher told, said to me once that uh, good karma is having pleasant memories. 
there's something true about that, and it's actually an invitation, a reminder to, if we can, plant seeds, as I spoke of last week, plant seeds that produce in your life, that produce happiness and uh, calm abiding and pleasant pleasant uh, reverberations, if you can, wherever you can. Speak kindly, act kindly, think kindly, do, do good works. You know, all the things that leave a residue of a sense of well-being and wholesomeness. Because when you have thoughts of the past, you're more likely to be visited by the memory of having done something. The, when the Buddha talked about generosity, I know most of you have heard talks about dana before. It was a very central teaching that he offered to... He was always talking about generosity to lay people like us because he saw that, that you were, if you planted the seed and practiced generosity, not only would you have joy in the thought of offering something, you would have joy in the act of it, and then you would have the joy in the memory of having done it. And there's so many things like that in our lives where we can experience the fruits. But nevertheless, the past doesn't really exist except as thoughts in the present moment, as memories, and all the different flavors of memory. And so there is, as this teaching, this very pith teaching, this very simple teaching, stay where you are, the reminder to not miss the only place where your life is. And it's so easy to miss while we're busy reminiscing or making other plans. And often our plans and our memories are um, not just fabrications of time, but there are also fabrications of the, as I like to think of, as the imagined version of ourselves, as the story of ourselves, the picture of ourselves, the ideas about ourselves, the conclusions about ourselves, the attitudes about ourselves, the judgments about ourselves, the evaluations, the comparisons. Any of you ever have any of those? And those, and none of those, as much as it's an advanced function to be able to to wax in all these magical ways in our mind, they describe someone literally that does not exist. They describe an imaginary version of you. And whenever I say this, I have to remind you that it doesn't mean that you don't exist. You exist as the, as, to put it in a little more dramatic terms, as the divine incarnate. Each of you, as that line from, the, from Eat, Pray, Love, where she says that her biggest realization, the divine is in me as me. And I was just talking about this the other day. It's not just in me in some little place, the divine. It is every little thing about you right here. It's even your capacity to think and to imagine. But when you mistaken, when you mistake the, what it is that you imagine for who you are, you miss the divine that is expressing itself in every single turn of your head, in every movement of your feet, in every word that flows from your mouth, in the capacity to see, to hear, to smell, to taste. Each thing, a miracle, an expression of life that could never 
never completely be described or understood. It can only be experienced. It can only be expressed in the creative way that it manifests. And our whole life is that creative expression. And then we have, as well, besides just ourselves being creative expression, our minds have all these creative capacities. And to be present for that, to be in awe of that, to be in wonder of that, is to also to be right where we are. But we often, in our, in our busy being, living in the virtual versions of ourselves, we forget that, that intrinsic beauty, that amazing, that awe. The, the Tibetans have this word, emaho, how amazing. When you just feel yourself here, when you feel that aliveness, that mystery of life that flows through you, what can you really say about yourself? What, could you ever capture that in one of those little insulting views that you're a crummy person or you're, you'll never be okay or you'll, any of you ever have that? Or you're, everybody else is better and I'm worse or I'm better and everybody else is worse. All of these completely distorted versions of reality that are mistaken for the real thing. And if we could, if we could in the span of this life, in this very life, learn to stay where we are, we would find that everything that we thought, and that, this includes everyone, if everything we thought was lacking in ourselves and others would, uh, would somehow miraculously begin to, to change into a sense of well-being and love and sufficiency. Instead of the chronic version that there's something wrong with this moment. That I can't be happy now. Don't you think that's a common refrain in the mind? All the reasons you can't be happy now. All the reasons that happiness is about whatever you achieve tomorrow. Uh, whatever you get fixed today or tomorrow. Whatever gets uh, healed, whatever gets solved, there is a chronic tendency to use the words of Papaji, Punjaji, H.W. Apunja, is there's a chronic tendency to postpone our sense of well-being, to hold ourselves hostage to our imagination. And unfortunately, uh, that's just a mental event. We have never, ever, ever, for all time, we have never left the present moment, really. We've only been and always are now. We've just missed it while we were busy um, being lost in our imagination. Now, we do get lost in our imagination, so we have to learn to how to navigate that. We, learn, we have to learn how to make peace with that fact that our tendency is so strong to go out of ourselves. In fact, we have to use every moment, as I, I tried to encourage during the sitting tonight, every moment that you realize, the moment you realize that you've been absorbed in thought. Any of you realize that you were lost in thought tonight during the sitting? That moment is a precious moment. That is the, as one of my Tibetan teachers, Tulku Urgen Rinpoche, used to say, that is our most successful moment. 
Can you believe it? Because why is that the most successful moment? Because at that moment, you have awakened to where you are. You're no longer lost. You're aware. You're aware that you may have been, lo- you may have been dreaming for the last half hour, 20 minutes, 5 minutes, 6 lifetimes. <laughs> but nevertheless, that moment of recognition is a moment of arriving, of returning to our natural state of wakefulness, of the clouds clearing. And so that is a precious time. And that moment, whenever you wake up to where you are, is the moment that can be put to good use in our practice. That's what practice is, is to learn how to stay where we are. And then to learn from what we discover when we're right here. What we will discover is because we live such dramatic lives, of so demanding lives. Every single person here is faced every day with some kind of worldly wind of pleasure and pain coming and going. Any of you have that going on in your life? pleasure and pain, any of you have gain or loss in your life, any of you have um, success or failure, any of you have fame, shame, we all have those wins and we all have, when I wake up in the morning, I have Sometimes pleasant, pleasant abiding, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes restless, sometimes excited, sometimes dull, sometimes I got the blues. I have all of these experiences. If I stay here, I'll, I'll notice that. And I'll notice that uh, I feel vulnerable a lot. That's also a function of being born. It's a leading cause of being vulnerable. Because anybody that's born is is subject to uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen next. But if I feel that, I put that to good use. I feel my vulnerability. I invite you to do that right now. Feel whatever that is that's shaky, that's queasy, that's uncertain, that, that doesn't know what's going to happen, that, uh, that is even unpleasant. If you let yourself feel that and you meet that with... Awareness, full comprehension, that that experience that can so easily, when unnoticed, become the cause of trying to escape and spawn all kinds of thought worlds and all kinds of worlds of time, when it's felt, even the unpleasant stuff, even the most difficult stuff, it becomes part of the ground of, of presence. It actually helps us learn to stay where we are. It becomes the the food of compassion. It tenderizes our hearts. It actually gives us more calm, stability, equanimity, the capacity to meet those winds, those joys and sorrows with less reactivity. But we have to stay where we are to actually appreciate. We have to be willing to feel how vulnerable we are. And we have to stop believing that our happiness and well-being can't happen now, that it's somewhere else. This is what a little brief conversation with 
that uh, Eckhart Tolle had with uh, one of his uh, students. He said, person said, I can't believe that I could ever reach a point where I'm completely free of my problems. So even while we're busy thinking that we could reach a point, we don't really believe we can reach a point where we're free of our problems, even though we're looking ahead to be happy. He says, I can't believe that I could ever reach a point where I'm completely free of my problems. And Eckhart Tolle responds, you're right. You can never reach that point because you are at that point now. There is no salvation in time. You cannot be free in the future. Presence is the key to freedom. You can only be free now. If we're willing to open to our vulnerability, I'm partly I'm motivated today because over the last four days, I've had some kind of health anomaly that I finally went to the emergency room, I got checked out, I had, went, did a big stress test today, I, I felt um, faint and short of breath and all these odd little symptoms uh, when nothing ostensibly was going on to be a big trigger for that. And I've got some hunches now about why it might have popped up, but I still don't know. But nevertheless, going through that whole little cycle, it definitely gave me pause. And... It was interesting the way that, that that vulnerability became as like the Buddha taught when he saw in his life, he saw sickness, old age, and death around him and, he, and that, how that was a pause and how that became a, what he called the heavenly messengers, those re- messengers that remind us of what's uh, important and, and to consider what we're actually doing with our lives and are we chasing after uh, Something that's putting our faith in something that's going to keep, keep us off balance? Or are we actually putting our attention to things that really matter? Are we, are we like Spence, who, who's that guy that I always read about in the advertisement, who, who put that, he said he put a, a new twist on an old philosophy, or it said that he put a new twist on an old philosophy, and the advertisement says, Spence says, to be one with everything, you have to have one of everything. Is, is that what you're doing with your mind? Or are you, are you appreciating the great good fortune of having pleasure and even having things, but seeing what their limitation is? You know, well, how are you relating to this world that's fleeting and these experiences that you have? Do you realize that, even, that your own mind and body are in a state of change? That means everything that you, that you grab after is, and that you seek and that you feed with the, with the mind of craving, that it leaves in its wake a feeling of loss because it changes. And not only does it leave in its wake a, a feeling of loss, but it leaves the desire for more. And that keeps us in a state of being hostage to that imagined future. He says, what are you doing? So th- anyway, this gave me pause. You know, what am I doing here? How am I living my life? And uh, life is precious and it's, I'm vulnerable. And, and it was kind of cool, actually. It was cool in that way. I'm feeling a little cool right now because I don't feel I'm... I, feel, I, don't, I'm, I don't have the sense, unless I get in some kind of... Some kind of Unusual. I don't know what will happen, but I, for some reason today, I think I'm safe. <laughs> I think I'm going to be okay today. But we never know, and I don't know. And 
somehow there's something about that don't know, that inherent uncertainty, that is, there's some secret in there that if we could only embrace, we would come to know that the divine is in us as us. We would stop looking for it elsewhere. We would just feel the miracle of this each unfolding present moment and know that there is only this unfolding present, that everything else is just a dream and that there is just the sense of immediacy. And we would all fall madly in love with ourselves and with each other because all that sense of intense separation that is born of that personality, that distorted view of ourselves, all the sense of separation, isolation, even loneliness, even loneliness, which is in some way aversion to being alone, even loneliness would melt away into that, that ocean of connection with everything. And we are literally, in any moment, we are literally a split second, a half breath away from that immediate... Uh, the word that's coming through my mind is effulgence, fullness, enoughness. And that's why it's so important that we, as much as we can, that we pause, that we stop. And for as many moments as we can... And one of the best ways we do that is by practicing mindful attention, clear comprehension. For, for as many moments as we can, we relinquish the past, the ideas of the past for a moment, relinquish ideas of the future, relinquish ideas of the present, relinquish any ideas about ourselves for one moment. Once you get established here, then you can enjoy all the ideas of yourself. But for a time, you have to simply meet life simply know what's happening at your ears right now when you hear the sound of this bell just hearing just before it becomes I'm hearing before it becomes that's a bell just hearing before it gets co-opted by the story of me and how much I like that bell and how much I'm going to see if I can go out and buy a bell like that so I can put it on my altar so I can meditate at home. Just hearing. Just sensing. Just sitting. Just being. So easy to miss the the open secret that's discovered when we stay where we are. This is what Zen uh, Hakuin Zenji said: All beings by nature are Buddha. Buddha means awake. All beings by nature are Buddha, as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. Apart from beings, no Buddha. How sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. 
like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst, like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. Lost on dark paths of ignorance, we wander through the six worlds from dark path to dark path. When shall we be freed from this birth and death that we play out in our minds? Oh, meditation. Which simply means remembering. Just It means staying here for at least this moment. Oh, meditation. To this the highest praise. Devotion, repentance, training, and the many perfections all have their source in being present in meditation. Those who try meditation even once wipe away beginningless crimes. Where are all the dark paths then? The pure land itself is near. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more, those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature, go far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom Truly, is anything missing now? Nirvana is right here, before our eyes. This very place, the lotus land, this very body, the Buddha. The story of time that plays through our minds is the is the story of suffering as that I think I read last week Punjaji said you need the past and thoughts to suffer you don't need anything to be free you do need to be present need to be awake but the story of suffering is the story of of that something's wrong here, and if only I could become good, better, best, great. We all have abstractions of greatness. In fact, Eckhart Tolle put it this way, greatness is a mental abstraction and the favorite fantasy of the ego. The paradox is that foundation for greatness is honoring the small things of the present moment. Instead of pursuing the idea of greatness... The present moment is always small in the sense that it's always simple. But concealed within it lies the greatest power. Like the atom, it is one of the smallest things, yet contains enormous power. So how do we stay where we are? I mean, it's easy to say, stay where you are. It's easy to say, remember. It's easy to say, don't go out of yourself in search. It's easy to say, stay in your body. But it is a, it's a commitment. 
It's a full commitment to live in the only place that life is. And tonight, partly what motivated me to say thank you for your presence here is that I could see that just by your presence, you may not know that your presence is an act of generosity. It's a tremendous gift to hold other people here. You notice how when you sit alone at home, some of you have enough strength in your presence and your practice to, to be self-reliant enough to practice really diligently at home or in the course of your daily life, even in an informal way. But most people at home sit a while and there's nothing, there's not enough to hold them. They don't have enough momentum, enough strength of mind and momentum of practice to hold you here, to hold you, to re, uh, hold you here long enough and with enough energy to let you feel the inherent satisfaction of being here. But when people come together as a group, it's like the strength of a forest versus one little tree. That, we're like a little Dharma forest or a little garden where there's a lot of Buddha plants. But I just had that sense of everyone holding each other and supporting you to be present. And it's very precious. So there's a few things that the Buddha recommended. He recommended that you fully, fully commit to uh, being awake. Continually remind yourself that you have inherently within you the most sacred power, which is awareness, which is that wakefulness. If I ask you to not be awake right now, what you realize is before you can even before you you can even think of yourself as a person you're awake wakefulness is your true home Con pure consciousness pure awareness now the commitment to to awaken to that and and use that and of course what helps us awaken to that that buddha nature is the habit of applying an element of that wakefulness called mindfulness, called sati, called attention and clear comprehension, actually know what we're doing when we're doing it. So mindfulness is the great support for awakening to the Buddha within. So we take refuge in the Buddha, being awake. The Buddha also recommended that we, in order to stay where we are, that we take refuge in exactly what's happening to take refuge in not what we hope will happen doesn't matter it doesn't mean you shouldn't have hopes doesn't mean that you shouldn't have dreams or plans but you put your you put your devotion to things the way they are right now you open to life as it is that's the key that's the ground in order to be able to have plans and not live so much in your plans that you miss the life while you're while you're trying to get things done First and foremost, commit yourself to the truth of how it is. That means an honesty to our feelings, our thoughts, our bodies, our vulnerability, whatever it is. Take refuge in the Dharma, the truth of how things are, the way it is, the law of nature as it's unfolding in us. So we've got the Buddha, the Dharma, and last but not least, and when 
the last but not least, he recommended that you take refuge in uh, the community of other people who also want to be awake and want to be honest about life and where happiness is to be found, to take refuge in the sangha, which is community, the association of others who support. And it can be this community. It can be all communities, any community that supports you being awake in your life. So it's keeping good company. When, when the Buddha's cousin and chief attendant, Ananda, asked the Buddha uh, about keeping good company, he said, isn't it true, Lord Buddha, that half of the holy life is having good friends, keeping like-minded company, wise company? And the Buddha looked at him and said, not true, Ananda, it's the whole of the holy life. It's so essential. So the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Keep those in your mind like a constant refrain. Just awake what's happening now and where am I, where am I getting support for, um, for my practice of being awake. No one can do this alone. That is if you're interested in really waking up, really learning how to unshakably dwell in the present with all the thoughts and all the feelings you ever had but not be so lost in them all the plans all the dreams it's all okay it's all included but not being so lost that you miss the vital present because the present as Nisargadatta said the, pre- the reality reality is here and it's, that's what makes the present so vital so different from past and future which are merely mental. So maybe I'm repeating that part too much. Past and future, merely mental. But I can't say it enough for, to myself because as a, my tendency of mind is to look forward, ahead. And I don't, I'm not bothered by that tendency because I'm, I'm, it's now it's that tendency to look ahead and to plan and to want. And I'm, I'm one of the, the there's three classic character types that tend to operate predominantly. Uh, and there's the greed type, the aversive type, and the deluded type. The greed type, to sp- when the going gets tough, they go into wanting. The aversive types, they complain and they, they get negative and they, and they just always see what's wrong with everything. The deluded types just go unconscious. And we all have all three, but my mind certainly is predominated by the greed type. But now I realize that I can put that greedy mind, <laughs> I can put that wanting mind, that hoping mind, that expecting mind, that planning mind, I can put it to good use and let it be the reminder of first and foremost to find my home right where I am and to check out, even when I'm in the most deepest state of of greed, and if I'm aware of that, to ask myself in real time, to do a little inquiry, am I missing anything right now? Is there anything really missing like that poem just said? You know, after all these years, I've yet to find anything missing when I'm really fully present. There may be even a feeling of longing or loneliness or or insufficiency. There may be all these feelings, but the moment they're embraced with full attention, 
It's just what's happening. And it's almost as though I've already arrived. It is as though I've arrived, not as though I've arrived at the vital point. I don't need anything else after that. And neither do you. So you can enjoy all the ways that your mind rails against the world or wants what it doesn't have or all the ways that it goes into dullness. Even that can become the cause of of wakefulness and love. Use it all as a reminder to be kind to yourself, to others, to bring yourself back to this vital point. And remember that whatever's happening right now, it, uh, it changes. So, whatever mood you have, whatever feeling you have, whatever attitude you have right now about this evening, <laughs> that'll change too. <laughs> so don't make too much out of anything. Just enjoy. Just settle back into the moment. And I guess while we're at it, let's all just settle back and sit quietly for a few moments and we'll call it a night. Seems like a good night to lull, to give you the lullaby of the little duck from Donald Babcock. Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about him. This is some sort of duck and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he's thinking things over. There's a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he is part of it. He looks a bit like a Mandarin or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree, but he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity which it is. That is religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. I like the little duck. He doesn't know much, but he has religion because he has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. May all beings realize their duck nature. May all beings be free. May all beings be happy and know the causes of happiness. Free of suffering and be free of the causes of suffering. May all beings at least grow in serenity, able to Meet the joys and the sorrows with less grasping, less aversion, 
May all beings learn to stay where they are. Thank you so much for your practice and listening and hope to see you um, along the line. Hope you come again soon, support each other. Just a reminder, as usual, of our room rental, which is $150, and any generosity that you offer for the room rental, perhaps you'll experience the joy of having offered it (laughs) and maybe the joy of of offering it and any... uh, any teacher dana, my practice is to offer my dana in the form of the teaching, and your, the invitation for you is if you feel to, it's not, it's voluntary, but to offer as your practice of generosity, teacher dana, both the teacher dana and the uh, room rental goes in the basket there, and I think most of you know that if you were to make checks out to the church here. They can be uh, tax-deductible for our rent, uh, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, and otherwise, anyway, is great. Thank you for your generosity. Thanks for your practice. See you next time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.